and you're going to see something come out in the first and last verse, and that, that is this idea of glory, hence the title of the sermon, The Glory Priority. And I want to start by just by reading where the main idea comes from in this passage, uh, which is found in the first half of verse 1 and the first half of verse 5. So, verse 1, starting there, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven said, Father, the hour has come, glorify Your Son. In verse 5, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Arthur F. Burns was the chairman of the United States Federal Reserve System, as well as the ambassador uh, to West Germany. And he was a man of considerable gravity. Medium in height, distinguished with wavy silver hair, and always having his signature, signature pipe with him. He was economic counselor uh, to several presidents from uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower to Ronald Reagan. When he spoke, his opinions carried a lot of weight, and Washington listened to him. Arthur Burns was also Jewish. So, when he began attending an informal White House group for prayer and fellowship, he was accorded a a very special respect. As a matter of fact, no one quite knew how to involve him in this Christian prayer and fellowship group, or so they thought. And... Week after week, at the close of the group, people were asked to pray, except for Mr. Burns. <laughs> so he was, he was passed over um, out of respect, but also out of a little bit of reticence as well. However, one week, there was a new guy leading the group, and guess what? He didn't know about Mr. Burns' special status. So when it was time to close in prayer, he actually turns to Mr. Burns and asks him to close this group in prayer. The old-timers, that part of the group, kind of glanced at one another, wondering, what's this guy going to say? What's this going to be like? However, without missing a beat, he reached out and he held hands with the others in in the circle, and he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. He says, Lord, I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? What, what if you're in that group and you're like, I'm, I'm a Christian? And you would be, maybe be a little bit offended. Maybe say, what is this guy talking about? Why do you think he says this? Maybe he saw the landscape of Christianity, maybe even those within the group, and he really wondered, do they really truly know Jesus Christ? 
Are they acting like they know Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ at the foremost of their life? Are the interests, the priorities, the commands of Jesus Christ, are they the interests, the priorities of those that claim to know him? How well do you know Jesus Christ? How well do you think you know Jesus Christ? I think today's message is going to surprise us. We're going to be challenged in that knowledge. We get to listen to another prayer. We get to listen to who? The prayer of Jesus Christ. We get to hear His heart. and We get to see what was most important to Him before the final hours of his death. What was on his mind? What is his priority that comes out of this text? Because his priority should be ours as well, shouldn't it? Well, what we see that comes out of its text is Jesus wants his glory to be your priority. Two times it's mentioned. As a matter of fact, it's a request, but guess what? It's a request in the form of a command. This is in the imperative. Jesus actually demands his glory. Now, we may look at that and we're like, whoa, Jesus, a little selfish. It doesn't seem right to us, does it? Something seems a little kind of weird about it almost. Is his glory your priority? Because if it's not, it should be. Is His glory the priority of Galilee Church? Because if it's not, it should be. Jesus Christ, His fame, His name, His honor, His glory, all of what has to do with Him should be first and foremost on our minds throughout our entire lives. It should influence everything we do. It should influence our decisions. It should influence our behavior. It should exhaust our energies. What would you say is on your mind most of the day? Most of the week? Most of the months? Most of the years of your life? I'll tell you what's on my mind right here. This guy. And reading this, really, I, I, I was talking to Sarah this morning. I said, how do I preach a message that I just don't do all the time? How much do we care about this? Because what's on our mind, what, what we put our efforts into, our energies into, our monies into, our time into, that reveals what? Priorities, doesn't it? Is this the first and foremost? Two times Jesus says it, they bookend this passage. In the middle, we have the reasons why, the the rationalization, not as if he needs any because he's God Almighty, but he gives us them and it is centered around the work of the cross. And again, we see that in no other area is Jesus Christ and God the Father most glorified than in the exaltation of the cross of Jesus Christ. His work in which he has accomplished. And we, we, we often have to remind ourselves the, the primary aspect of salvation is not us, it's him. 
Because in no other way is His mercy, compassion, love, and justice revealed than in the cross of Jesus Christ. So when we speak of His glory, Jesus is definitely talking about the glory in which He laid aside, and we're going to get to that point. Uh, But it also means His fame, His renown. It means uh, all of those things that are wrapped up into the person and character of who He is and the fact that He deserves all the attention and the worship that we can offer. Everything. And He gives us four reasons or four rationalizations behind that that we're going to look at in this text today. So the first one, and we could end right here, couldn't we? We could walk out the door and say, glory be to Jesus Christ. Why? Because He has given us eternal life. So one and two, if we look at that, we'll start again. So Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up His eyes to heaven, He said, Father, the hour has come, speaking of the hour of His death, glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, even as You gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom You have given Him, He may give eternal life. Funny, um, I was talking about Long Creek this morning, had a little PTSD from Long Creek, bless you, and, uh, had, and was talking and remembering uh, some of the, the tough times there that, that, that I had there. So um, one of them was I had to work Christmas. Now, it was, it was a kind of a curse and a blessing, and uh, the reason why it was a blessing is because, you know, I got to spend time with my family on Christmas. Um, I was surrounded by loved ones. Um, it was in, in my home or in, in the home of my extended family, and we would have fun together, we would laugh, we would eat together, and it was a wonderful time. And then those kids didn't have that. Now, did they deserve to be there? Sure. They committed crimes. Um, However, being there was kind of a a blessing because I wanted to extend love and compassion and and be there with them while while they were lonely. However, there was one part that I absolutely dreaded, Christmas gifts. So before Christmas happened, volunteers would sign up. As a matter of fact, our church did it one year. Uh, We signed up and we we would... buy, people would buy Christmas gifts. So the kids would write out a list of all of these gifts. And the people would pick up the list and they would go and spend time, money, energy, resources to go and buy these gifts for these kids in prison for a good reason. And they would give them to them. And then Christmas morning would come and then it was up to the guards. And you ask any guard, they absolutely despised it. Because without fail, here's these wonderful gifts. These were free gifts. The kids didn't really deserve really anything at this time, but, you know, giving them gifts and, and without fail, every single time. Do you think those gifts were received with gratefulness? Absolutely not. I mean, some of them, some of them, but without fail, they would what? Complain. And it would drive me out of, I would try to lecture them, I would try to talk to them, and they didn't have anything to do with it. And then guess what? I realized that I have this attitude in myself. Why is that? 
What's the greatest gift that we've been given of all time? Eternal life. Now, now should, not we, should not we be glorifying Christ for that alone? The, the fact that every morning we should just wake up, I should wake up and I, I shouldn't care about my pains, I shouldn't care about my little sicknesses, I shouldn't care about my little worries or whatever it is that I'm going to face for that day. Why? Because I am going to live forever with God Almighty in no suffering, no pain, no nothing for all eternity, right? Amen? Amen. That's it. But yet, oh, Lord, why are you doing this to me, Lord? Oh, why am I in a bed and breakfast that has no hot shower, Lord? Why are you, why are you suffering? Right? Isn't that what I complain about? I'm no better than those kids. No better. This is what he's given us. You and I have eternal life. We're going to live forever. We're going to see each other forever. Okay, maybe that's not a gift, but we're going we're gonna to be with the Lord forever. No more pain. No more suffering. And it's interesting when we... But, uh, I don't know, that kid looks too old to be doing that, but we look like that on the inside, don't we? And listen to how he gave this gift, and this is what I absolutely love about this part, is that it's not only, it's not only the gift, but it's the person of who he is, the authority that he has, that results in really the glory that he deserves. Uh, notice how this is broken down. You and I, guess what? You and I are a gift to Jesus Christ by God Almighty. There are three givings in this verse. The first one is that Jesus Christ is given what? All authority over what? All flesh. That is everybody on the earth Jesus Christ has control over. And flesh is there for a reason because it denotes what? Weakness. Could we have attained this gift ourselves? Absolutely not. No way. And he has authority, not over just people in the church, not over just people who believe in him. Jesus Christ has authority over everyone. Glory be to him, right? Why? Because he's God Almighty. So no matter what happens during our stay here on earth, He's in control of it. He's going to make sure we get to the place that He has promised us. But the, there's another giving, and this speaks to the sovereignty of God. And we, we have to say here that this speaks to God choosing individuals before the foundation of the world. Now, how that all works out with our free will, I am not sure, but I am very thankful for it. He has sovereignty over, over all flesh. He gave us. You and I were given. I mean, to, to think about that is just amazing. He gave us as a gift to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave us the gift to those who were given. The reason why I love a passage like this is because it has absolutely nothing to do with you or me. This is based on what? His mercy and His grace. Before, and, and he, he knew 
absolutely every single thing we were going to do. He knew that I was going to glorify who? Myself. He knew that I would sin against Him. He knew that I would disobey my parents. He knew all the sins that I would do, yet He had mercy. Yet He had grace. The depths of this truth are just amazing. You were on His minds before the world ever existed. He knew you. He chose to give you this gift. And what a gift it is. And it levels the playing field. None of us deserved it. None of us earned it. He gave it. Glory be to Him. So that what? No one can what? Boast. It's not about us. We benefit from His grace and His mercy and His love. Praise be to Him. And it's more than just an endless existence, isn't, isn't it? What is, what is eternal life? What is wrapped up in this gift? What is the essence of this gift? You and I know the Almighty God. We are in a personal relationship with the Creator of heaven and earth. Verse 3. He explains this idea of eternal life, but, but the, the essence of it and what it consists of. So, this, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. A pastor was quoted uh, saying this, and kind of reminds me of, of myself. I'm not sure I've reached the last part yet. I hope so. He, says, he said, at age 30... I wanted to build a large church. At age 40, I wanted to learn how to preach. At age 50, however, I want to know God more deeply. Maturity, isn't it? Priority and realizing the gift that we have. You know, I was struck by my approach to this passage and many others like it. And, and I had a friend that pointed it out to me and just when, when he challenged me or said something about my approach to this passage, not in a bad way, just in conversation. You see, I come to, I come to passages on a Monday morning and I ask myself, what am I, I going to preach from this text? Now, you would say, well, Pastor Mark, that's what your job. <laughs> that's why we let you take vacations. And it's true, but that's not the question I should be asking myself. The question that I should be asking myself is, what can I learn about God and about Jesus Christ from this text that I can then preach to you as well? Do you see the twist on that? It's about knowing Him more deeply because that's exactly what eternal life is all about. 
I think Oswald Chambers sums it up absolutely perfectly. Eternal life is not a gift from God. Eternal life is the gift of God. You and I have the absolute wonderful privilege of, of knowing God. And, and this knowledge, this is in the present tense. It begins right now. We know God and therefore have eternal life because eternal life is wrapped up in God. God is life and apart from Him, there is no life. You and I have true life. This world who does not believe in Jesus Christ is not truly living. I can imagine that if you and I were to know someone famous, right, we would name drop that person everywhere. We would be like, oh, I know so-and-so. You know, if we got to hang out with, I don't know, you take, take a pick of who, whoever it may be, right? We would, we, would love and we would love to hang out with them, but we would also love to get what? Knowledge about them, wouldn't we? That would be really juicy little morsels for us. And we'd be like, oh, I, hey, do you know about LeBron James? I know LeBron James is this and that, whoever it may be. Whoever, you, you just pick it. But why, why do we not have that same reaction about the, the creator of heaven and earth? Because that's exactly who we know. We know the only one that truly matters. And he is revealing himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And the more, the deeper that we, we dig into his word, the, the, the greater we're going to know him and the more we're going to what? Glorify him. This is what we need. You know, if we go back to this whole idea of glorifying Jesus Christ and, and, and making that our priority, John Piper sums it up absolutely perfectly. He says, he says, we, God is most glorified in us when we are what? Most satisfied with Him. Are you satisfied with Him and Him alone? He's enough. You know, and, and we come to church, and I, I come to a passage like this, and I'm trying to think of a how-to, right? Or something that's really, really applicable for us. And we come, and we want to hear sometimes messages, and it's natural, based on what? What we're experiencing at the time. Maybe our trials or our struggles and all of that is understandable. But I'll tell you what, this is what we truly need. We need to just be satisfied and content in Him, because in that, that's how our deepest needs are met. Your deepest needs are met when you are most satisfied with God. And in knowing Him. And in enjoying that relationship. What an absolute privilege that we have. You and I know the living, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting, never-changing, always faithful God. And that relationship is never going to end. But we get so distracted, don't we? We get so distracted with this world. And it pulls our attention away from the only one who can satisfy us and the only one who matters in this life. And I'm just as guilty. Rather pick up a phone and, and watch some silly cat videos or something. <laughs> Actually, not cat videos. I don't like cats at all. Some other videos. Yeah, Bruins. I'd rather watch. Yeah, I'd rather have a heart attack watching Bruins or something. But that's, 
it, it, it's funny because, and it made me think about it. It's just, what are we doing? What are we doing? We have a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, but we, we'd rather watch, I don't know, you name it. And I, I'm just as guilty. And the deeper that we know him, guess what? The more you and I are going to glorify him. This is the gift. The gift is, yes, eternal life is, is, is no suffering, is the forgiveness of our sins, which we don't deserve, but the gift is God himself. Praise be to Jesus Christ for that gift. But guess what? That gift came at a cost, didn't it? It's free for us. Surely wasn't free for him. Eternal life was obtained through the work of the cross. Listen to what he says in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And again, again, I have to keep pointing this out. Jesus, when, when Jesus is glorified, God is glorified, and God is most glorified through what? The cross. Because Jesus says, I glorified you on earth. And, and what I love about this, we're going to talk about it, is the work is already done before he even does it. This is Officer Officer James A. Doolittle. He served as a canine handler for West Lynn Police Department. However, he was recently disciplined for slacking off on the job. During the entirety of 2012 and 2013, he responded to one, one police call the entire year. However, Doolittle was still paid premium pay, as well as during the time was also allowed to use an official police cruiser with gas insurance paid by, guess who? You and I, taxpayer funds. However, um, he, he had said that he was going to training exercises during this time, but those exercises could never be corroborated by anyone and they doubt the veracity of his claim. So it's kind of funny to have a name called what? Doolittle, and he actually fulfilled his name. Again, he did little. You, you can't make that stuff up. But when we, when we think about a job, right? So even the jobs that you and I are given to do, and, and I'm just as guilty sometimes, right? I'm slacking off. We don't even complete the work that we're being what? Paid to do that we're being entrusted to do. And, and when we think of a job, we think of a job like this, don't we? We think of work like this. What do I get to do? Well, every, every week, standard, pretty regularly. I get to wake up. I go downstairs, and what do I do? I either get a cup of coffee or I get a tea. Earl Grey tea, two tea bags, a little bit of honey, a little bit of milk. Put it in my little thermos. Then I hop in the car, and I drive a lovely drive to work, get here early in the morning. No one's here. It's quiet. Get to sit my tea, get to look at the text, get to relax. Then I go home. I kick back, watch a hockey game, and do it all over again. Nine-to-five job. 
Jesus' work was radically different, wasn't it? And with Good Friday still fresh in our minds, we know exactly what His work consisted of, don't we? It wasn't a very comfortable work. And it was the work that only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, could do for Him to secure eternal life for us, a life of peace, a life of rest, and a life of comfort. The work of Jesus Christ involved a brutal, torturous death at the hands of wicked, violent men, and it was the greatest injustice of all time, and He did it for you and for me and for the glory of God Almighty. It was a work in which He bore the sin, our laziness, our slothfulness of mankind, and it was the first time ever in which the Father turned away from His beloved Son. And and what I love about this work is it is finished before He even does it. It's done. It is absolutely completed. And what does that mean for us? There's no more work that needs to be done. And I'll tell you what, church, any single time that you and I think or that you and I want to add on to the work of Jesus Christ so that we can, we can think we're making ourselves more righteous to God. We rob Him from the glory that He deserves. His work, it's finished, and you and I are saved for all eternity because of it. That's it. Don't let any, any other person, any other pastor, any other church tell you anything differently. It is completed. When you trust in Jesus Christ and trust in the work that He has completed on the cross, you are forgiven for all eternity. Nothing else needs to be done. Nothing. That's it. Everything else is what a result of that. This is all a result of that. Because when we think we're adding to that work, we rob Him from the glory that He deserves. Only He did it, only He could have done it, and it's finished. And He says it's finished even before it's done. That's what I love about that verse. He says, I've accomplished it. Why? Because He knows He's going to go through with it. And He did, didn't He? And if He did, and He said that, do you think He's going to follow through with His other promises? Absolutely. And when we dwell on the work that He had to do for us, man, it just brings our priorities all into perspective, doesn't it? What matters? This matters. The gospel matters. And it should drive us to go out those doors and do absolutely everything we can to proclaim that truth. Bringing Him... Glory in the process. He walked the earth, He fulfilled the law for us, and He died on the cross, taking the penalty of our sin, and He sweat doing His work, didn't He? He was sweating, but it wasn't normal sweat. It was drops of blood. And the work reminds us that you and I are created for much, much more than 
our little plans in life. You and I are created for Him, not for ourselves. You and I are created to proclaim Him, to make Him our utmost, and to bring Him glory because He gave up His glory in order to accomplish it. And Paul rightfully says what? What does he know? Nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Glory be to Jesus Christ, for He suffered and died on a cross on our behalf. And He left His glory, He laid His glory aside in order to accomplish that work, which brings us to the fourth and final rationalization or reason of our, our passage here today. So listen to what he says. And again, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I think we might have mentioned something like this before, but kind of fits the context here. This is a, here's a, a list of demands from a famous singer for, for their backstage needs. So when they get, go to a concert, somehow reporters got a hold of a bunch of these lists and then, of course, publicized those lists for the, the whole world to see. You can look it up. There's, there's one that says 15 crazy backstage demands or something like that. Here's one, here's one list. This is of a female singer. So she required five AC power outlets, probably for the multiple iPhones or whatever it is that she has. Uh, she also required adequate lighting for a relaxed atmosphere. Makes sense, right? We kind of want to get in the mood. How about white drapes to cover lockers and or brick because there can be nothing unsightly uh, for them to see. One humidifier, seasonal allergies. One large throw rug and the rug must be plush and the rug must be animal print. Only cheetah or leopard. Don't give me any, no bears or anything like that. Cheetah and leopard and the rug must be clean. Why? She will walk on that rug barefoot. She wants you to pipe and drape the room in dark blue or black drapes with icy blue chiffon draped nicely on top of not five, but six candles. And those candles need to be of a certain kind, archipelago black forest. If you can't find archipelago black forest, Please see me because I have other choices as well. Along with the candles, there needs to be four small, clear, square vases with white tulips. No foliage, please. If you can't find tulips, then there needs to be lilies. If you can't find lilies, then there needs to be white freesia, which I have no idea what freesia is. Here's another one. Queen Elizabeth. Now, Love the queen, God save the queen, you know, God rest her soul. Love Queen Elizabeth, but 
you know, she's a queen, so she needs to be treated like a queen. So she, she had a visit to the United States, and the reporters got a hold of everything that was involved with her logistics. Guess how many pounds of luggage Queen Elizabeth brought for a trip to the United States? Hey, hey, random guesses. Come on. 850, okay, how about 4,000? 4,000 pounds of luggage. 4,000 pounds of luggage. Well, yeah, what are you going to do with that? I, I mean, how much does a dress weigh? So two, two outfits for every occasion, right? It's just, you know, you should go in. Where's Queen Elizabeth? Hey, what are you just wearing? Will you just change? She goes backstage. Yes, someone's just putting it on there. And a, and a mourning outfit, just in case she die, someone dies. Not she dies, sorry. But, <laughs> that was bad. Just in case someone dies. But on, on top of that, um, she had um, 40 pints of plasma. I don't, I don't know why. This is my favorite one. She, she needed white kid leather toilet seat covers because the queen needs to be comfortable on the throne. <laughs> and then she also, brought, she also brought along her own hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. And a brief, a brief royal visit to a country can cost $20 million dollars. That's one of her rooms in her palace. The, the other one is, is what? Yeah. Who stayed in a room like the other one? The real king. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? He laid it aside. He laid it aside. And I complain when my accommodations don't have hot showers. It's worse when we encourage this. And we give such honors and glories to men and women. And it's worse when we demand it of ourselves, isn't it? We demand to be treated like kings and queens. He says, it's his glory. It's nobody else's. It was his glory long before this world was ever made. Long before singers, long before actors or Hollywood stars, long before kings and queens, long before you and I have ever walked this earth. It's His glory. And He gave it up so that you and I could one day be glorified with Him. Doesn't He deserve that honor? Doesn't He deserve that praise? It's only His. It belongs to Him. And yet, we have our own list of demands, don't we? So often, so often, we have our own list of demands. And every single time that we prioritize ourselves over Him, we rob Him of His glory. This is the, 
This is the Philippians passage. This is the, the, the other end of the Philippians passage. And I like the, K, the King James version of this because he says robbery, that word robbery. Who being in the form of God thought not it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't cling to that. He's God Almighty and he doesn't cling to it. But what does he do? He makes himself of what? No reputation. No honor. No fame. And he took upon him in the form and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of you and me, being fashioned as a man, and he humbled himself even further in obedience, in obedience unto death and death on a cross. And what is the end result? So that what? So that and now he is what? Highly exalted, so that every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Almighty. His glory. And we have churches and we have pastors and we have ministries that are constantly robbing Jesus Christ of what is rightfully His taking fame, taking honor, building up their own name. Shame on them and shame on a culture that allows it. And I pray to God that that never happens here at Galilee. It's not about us. It's solely about Him. And the more we know that, the more He's going to be glorified. Stolen valor. Every single time we prioritize our own interest, our own likes, our own feelings, whatever it may be, every time we do it, we steal and rob from Him. I don't know if you've ever seen those stolen valor videos, but what is it, what, what is it that people do? They dress up like what? They dress up like military people, men and women, and they pretend to be something that they are not so that they can receive privileges, so that they can receive honor, so that they can receive recognition. It's the same thing we do to Jesus Christ. When we prioritize ourselves over Him. What's the mission statement of our church? The beginning statement is what? Why do we exist? Glorify Him. We exist, Galilee Church exists, to glorify Him. The question is, is that one of our priorities? Are we making that a priority? Is it seen in what we do in our ministries, in our worship, in our individual lives? Is His glory your priority? hope and pray it is, and I hope it becomes more so as we continue together. And, and what, a, what a unifying goal, right? What a unifying goal. The goal of a church to just lay aside ourselves. Just forget about us. Forget about us. And make His glory our priority and make His gospel our priority and make loving each other and sacrificing for each other our priority.
That's, gonna, that's a church that will transform any area that it finds itself in. I always close in prayer. And I just wanted to do it a little bit differently. And I'm going to pray a prayer, but I want you to join and say this prayer only if you mean it. And I think it's an appropriate way to end uh, a passage like this. So please, would you join me in this prayer? Lord, thank you for the gift of yourself. You are enough. Forgive me for those times I have stolen what is rightfully yours. Lord, forgive me for those times I have been distracted by my own priorities, placing them above you and your kingdom. Lord, help me every day to make your glory my priority. Be glorified in me, O Lord. In the name above all names we pray, amen.